Good morning. Just want to thank Mark for his uh, testimony. Uh, the impact we can have on on our kids at this time is so important. And I would just like to say, uh, if that's something that interests you, being involved in teaching Sunday school, let me know, let Ashley know, indicate it. There's cards in front of you, prayer cards. You can just write in there, interested in uh, finding more out, finding more out about uh, teaching Sunday school. And so we would just really like to see more people involved in that. Because they impact Sunday school teachers, as Mark said, have impacts in our lives. And, and I just ask in the beginning, who are the people who've impacted your life? You know, obviously Ben Hampton would say, Mark, dressing up as a beast. <laughs> they usually fall, the, these people that impact our lives, though, usually fall into two categories. For me, there are people who have impact, definitely impacted my life uh, negatively. There are people who've tried and sometimes succeeded influencing me to do and say things that I shouldn't. But for the most part, I feel very blessed with people who've had a a positive impact in my life, people who've encouraged me, supported me, who've walked with me through uh, good times, through bad times, my parents, my wife, co-workers, I've had good co-workers, other family members, my friends, my Sunday school teachers. Now, I didn't really go to Sunday school as a small kid, but I did go to this thing called Good News Club. And if anybody remembers that, there were these really old ladies, probably in their 40s, who, who, uh, who, taught, uh, who taught with these flannel grams and things. It had an impact on my life. My pastors. I think about David Doherty, the founding pastor of this church, how he impacted my life through teaching and encouragement and support. Christine and I have often said, uh, if it weren't for David and Jeannie, his wife, we would never have pursued full-time ministry of of any kind. And I think for most of us, we can identify with this. Uh, Most of us have people who've impacted our lives, both positively and, unfortunately, negatively, sometimes in small ways and sometimes in really big ways. And beginning today, as we come to Romans chapter 5, in the middle of the chapter, Starting in verse 12, the Apostle Paul is going to explain how two men have impacted all of our lives in huge ways. Now, if you've been in, with us through study in Romans, or if you realize that you're in a, uh, a Christian church this morning, you can probably guess who one of these two men is. Any guesses? What's that? Christ. Good. Maybe you guys don't. This is, this is a Christian church you've come into. Uh, Christian Christ Jesus. Jesus is, is definitely one. And if you've looked at your notes, or if you've ever read Romans chapter 5, then you can probably guess the other one. Anyone? Adam. So we're going to Adam and Christ. And what, what we're going to see over the next several weeks, probably three, maybe, maybe four, are some foundational and some theological truths, don't be afraid, historical truths that explain how these two men have impacted all of humanity. And we're going to go deep, you know, so, you know, you wake up, uh, if you 
I felt like maybe doing calisthenics this morning because you, you might need those all along the way because we're going to go deep. You're going to have to put on your thinking caps. Now, we've already seen much of Christ's impact as we've walked through Romans. It, it, it is through His death and resurrection that we are justified, that we are reconciled to God, that we're redeemed from our sins, that we're adopted into His family, and that we're saved. The positive impact of Jesus Christ is infinite and immeasurable. Now in Romans 5, 12-21, the Apostle Paul will compare and contrast Christ's impact with that of Adam. His purpose is to assure us of one man, Christ's positive impact on many. If one man, Adam can have such a a vast negative impact, then surely one man, Christ, can have a positive impact on many. So with that in mind, we turn to Adam's impact. This is sort of the intro. we got to see the negative first. Adam's impact on humanity. And the first thing we see is the terrible truth that Adam introduced sin. Romans 5.12 begins, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, The therefore means that what we're about to read is connected to what Paul has just written. In Romans 5, 9-11, Paul has just emphasized how those who have faith have been impacted, uh, have been saved by the death and the life of Jesus Christ, how we, through the act of one man Christ, have been reconciled to God. Therefore... Now he's going to explain how another one man, Adam, by his sin, also impacted many. It was through the disobedience of one man that sin came into the world. This sin, uh, we call it the fall, is recorded in Genesis chapter 3. Let me just summarize what's taken place up to this point in Genesis God created all things in heaven and on earth. And and the climax of His creation, on the sixth day, God created humanity. He created Adam and Eve, and He created them in His image. In the image of God, He created them. God then placed them in a garden, the Garden of Eden, and and He told them they could eat from all the trees in the garden, all the fruit from all the trees except one. They could not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was forbidden. And at this point in the story, everything is good. All creation is good. Adam and Eve is good. It's all good. But the serpent came to Eve and he tempted her to eat the forbidden fruit. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read the terrible outcome of the encounter with the serpent. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it its fruit, and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Even though Eve is, is in many ways, the main character of of the story, if you go back and read it, her and the serpent, she's the one being tempted. She's the one that first takes the fruit. Paul focuses on Adam as the responsible party. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Paul's point is that through the act of one man's disobedience to God, all humanity from that point forward would be affected by sin. Once Adam opened the door 
and an unleashed sin upon the world, the, the door could not be closed. So in this world and in our lives, we will, because of Adam, uh, see sin and its horrific effects. Crime and war, debauchery, divorce, idolatry, abortion, terrorism, human trafficking, lying, stealing, cheating, lusting, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on. There can be no doubt that Adam's sin has had a terrible, devastating, destructive impact on the world, on humanity, on every person who's ever lived. And the ultimate, the final, the most devastating impact of sin is death. Sin came through Adam, and Adam's sin brought death. Again, Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin... As Adam was the door through which sin entered, so sin was the door through which death entered. Death is not natural. Death is an abomination. In 1 Corinthians 15.26, Paul says, the last, enemy to be de- the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the enemy. Before Adam's sin, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God had commanded, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, and breaking that commandment consequences. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. If they had never eaten, there would be no death. And so on that day when Adam took the fruit and he ate it, death came into the world. Adam died in in two ways. He immediately died spiritually. He was no longer right. He was no longer innocent before God. The image of God in which he had been created was twisted and marred, corrupted. His relationship with God was broken by sin. In Genesis 3.8, we read of sin's immediate and devastating results for Adam and Eve. Before sin, they had walked with, they had fellowshiped, they had had relationship with their Creator, God, in the garden. But after their sin, Genesis 3.8 says, When they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They, for the first time, in fear, uh, knowing their sin, uh, knowing the corruption that had taken place, hid from a holy God. Their fellowship with God was broken because of their immediate spiritual death. But their death was not only spiritual. After their disobedience, they also died physically. That is, they began the process of dying. In Genesis 3.19, God tells Adam the consequences of his sin. This is his curse. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Adam continued to live, but from that day forward, his destination was always death, was always dust. Romans 6.23, Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. Sin earns death. Adam earned immediate spiritual death and impending physical death. So that's Adam's story. But it doesn't end with him. The death that Adam earned was passed on and and death spread to all humanity. That's our third point. Again, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. 
Therefore, because of Adam's sinful disobedience, which resulted in death, death spread to all. From Adam to Cain to Abel and Seth, his sons, to their children, and and so on and so on. Because of Adam's sin, death became a, a certainty for all. As the saying goes, nothing is certain in life but death and taxes. Not sure if Adam ever paid any taxes, but he did die. Death was transmitted like a disease to all who descended from Adam, to all humanity. And that's not a truth we need uh, faith. Some of, some of the truths stated in Scripture, there is no need for faith to believe, right? Each and every day, one, uh, every one of us in this room uh, sees, uh, we've seen, we've seen and felt and, and, and the touch of death. The individual deaths of friends and family of those we know and love. And the mass mass deaths of terrorism and genocide, holocaust, plagues. Our own impending death is before us. Death is an ever-present reality that can all be traced back to one man, Adam. And you might think, and I've thought this, well, well, that just doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. I mean, we're individuals. Why do we have to to be part of this Adam guy? I, I didn't ask for Adam. How can the sin of one man eating a piece of fruit bring about the death of all humanity? Well, Paul concludes verse 12 by telling us why death spread to all men. And that is that's our fourth point, because all sinned. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And what I wanted you to notice first, this is where it's going to get, is everybody following so far? Okay, now you better wake up. This is where it's going to get a little, uh, I read and studied a lot and wrote this again and again, just so you know. So, uh, this is my best shot at this. And what I want you to notice first is that at this point, at the end of verse 12, Paul just breaks off in mid-sentence. It's signified in English by the dash there. Is there a dash? Okay, dash. And in your Bibles, there's a dash, at least in the ESV. Notice the sentence began with, therefore, just as. And so should be followed by something like, so also. For example, if I were to say, just as Californians enjoy going to the beach, so also Coloradoans enjoy going to the mountains. The point of the just as is to compare the first thing with with something that's coming, a second thing. In my example, the comparison is between what two different groups of people, Californians and Coloradoans, enjoy. You wouldn't say, uh, you could say, Californians enjoy going to the beach, full stop, period. But you wouldn't say, just as Californians enjoy going to the beach, period. You wouldn't stop before you compared that to something. But that's what Paul does here. He says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, dash, period. He doesn't finish with what we would expect. From the context, we would expect something like, just as sin came into the world through one man, so also through one man righteousness entered the world. Now, Paul will say that very thing, 
Uh, He'll explain that as he goes on in verse 18 specifically. But here in verse 12, he just leaves us hanging. And so we ask, why doesn't Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God, finish his thought? And again, from the context, the answer seems to be that he realizes he's just said something that needs to be clarified. He's just said that through one man, sin, sin entered into the world, and through sin, death. Then he broadens out the statement and says that death is not confined to that one man, but spreads to all humanity. Why? Now here comes what needs to be clarified. He says, because all sinned. Now what does Paul mean by this? What does he mean by death spread to all men because all sinned? Because the answer to this question has been debated throughout the centuries. This is really the question of original or imputed, credited sin. Do we become sinners when we commit sins? Or do we commit sins because we're sinners by nature? So the question is, does Paul mean that the penalty of death, the penalty, the death penalty, if you will, is given to all men, given to humanity, because of our own individual acts of sin? That we would be free from death, that we would not experience death if we never sinned. That we uh, become sinners and therefore subject to death when we commit our first sin. Or does he mean that when Adam sinned in a real and a profound and mysterious way, his sin was imputed, credited, counted to, to all of us? So that we are all viewed, we, humanity, all viewed as sinning in Adam. That we became sinners in Adam and therefore are subject to death even prior to our first sin. And just so you know, the the grammar there, the Greek grammar, doesn't help us to know what the answer is. The grammar allows uh, for either interpretation. And so Paul pauses mid-sentence to clarify what because all sinned, means. And maybe you're thinking, pastor, who really cares? I mean, in either case, you end up dead. In either case, the wages of sin is, is death, right? So why does it matter whether I die because of my sins or if I die because of Adam's sin? But I want us to see that it, that it does matter. It matters a great deal, in fact. It matters enough for Paul to stop mid-sentence, and in verses 13 and 14 to explain. And I think as we see this explanation, and as we get to the end of verse 14, we're going to see why it matters. So Paul explains what he means by, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And the first thing he points out is that death preceded the law. Death preceded the law. In Romans 5.13, Paul begins by saying, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Now, for anyone who's read the book of Genesis and Exodus, this is obvious. Sin was clearly in the world before the the law came, before the Mosaic law was given. From Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, to the giving of the law to Moses in Exodus chapter 20, and beyond, the world was filled with sin. Just some highlights. If you remember, Cain, right after Adam and Eve, Cain murdered his brother Abel. If you remember the flood, the whole earth was evil and wicked and God destroyed it with a flood. 
The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were so sinful, God destroyed them with fire. Joseph's brothers, out of jealousy, sold him into slavery. The Egyptians, out of fear, enslaved the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people, even after being miraculously delivered from slavery by God, while Moses was receiving the law, rejected God and made a golden calf, an idol, to worship instead. So indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given. And therefore, it could be, and death as well was in the world before uh, the law was given, and therefore it could be that death spread to all men because we've always sinned. From Adam on, everybody sinned. However, Paul continues with this interesting tidbit. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, this is a strange statement if taken by itself. Paul is saying that before the law was given, before there was law, before God said this is sin, before he identified exactly what sin was, then sin didn't count. Ignorance was bliss. And therefore, logic would follow that the consequences, the punishment for sin, that is death, would not be experienced. If sin doesn't count, then You shouldn't be punished for the sin that doesn't count. Yet Paul begins verse 14 by saying, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. From Adam to the Mosaic law, everybody still died. Everybody still suffered the consequences of sin. So how is it possible that both sin is not counted where there is no law, and yet death, the consequences of sin, reigned before the law was given? It's only possible Because death is not experienced because of individual sins. Or sins against the Mosaic law. But because all sinned in Adam. That's what Paul's trying to clarify. Verse 12 says that death spread to all men because all sinned. And then Paul clarifies in verse 13. People died even though their own individual sins against the Mosaic law were not counted. Their individual sins were not the primary reason for their death. Instead, the reason all died is because all sinned in Adam. Adam's original sin is credited to all. But there could be an objection at this point to Paul's argument. The objection is that even before the Mosaic law, there were commands of God. Laws, if you will, uh, given to individuals. I mean, Adam got the law, don't eat from the fruit, Noah got some things, Abraham got some things, others got the specific commands from God. So maybe death came from disobeying those laws, not because they sinned in Adam. And not only that, uh, the objection could also point uh, to what Paul said back in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. He said, "For For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Even Gentiles, who do not have the law, in their conscience, know the law of God was written on their hearts, that was written on their hearts. And therefore, maybe, maybe death came from disobeying uh, not just the written law, but laws spoken to individuals by God or from laws God wrote on our hearts. Not because everyone sinned in Adam. 
So there seems to be two possible exceptions to Paul's argument. Yes, there is a Mosaic law to sin against before Moses, but there, but there are a personal laws. Excuse me, there's no Mosaic law before Moses, but there are personal laws given to individuals, and there's also the law written on our hearts. So Paul addresses these exceptions in verse 14. He says, death makes no exception. Romans 4, 14. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, everybody died, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam. So there's going to be people whose sins are like the transgressions of Adam, and there's sins not like the transgressions of Adam, and both died. There are other kinds of laws before the Mosaic law, and yes, people broke those laws. And yes, one could argue that these sins are the reason for the death in, the, in their world, that Adam's sin led to his death, and that since then, everyone's individual sins leads to their own death. But he says there's a problem with that view, because death reigned even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Now, what was Adam's transgression like? What category would Adam's sin fall into? Adam's sin was a violation of a command from God. God specifically said, do not eat from the tree and Adam ate. But death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who didn't sin by violating a specific command from God. Paul's point is that that there were people who didn't sin by disobeying a direct command of God, as Adam did, there, there are people who, who never received a command from God. In fact, there, there are very few instances of people getting individual commands from God. Noah, Lot, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Even if we said that all of Abraham's descendants, from Abraham on, his descendants, received some of God's commands, maybe passed down oral commands, then, sin, then sin, that still leaves... Uh, uh, the entire Gentile world who didn't. All the other people that existed along with Abraham and their descendants. And yet, they, everyone, no exception, died. Now we could say, but they violated the law of God written on their hearts. Maybe that's the, the personal sin that led to their death. Well, let me ask you this. Is there, is there any group of humans who not only never received any of God's commands, but before they could even understand and obey or disobey the law written on their own hearts, some died. Can you think of any groups, any any group of people that would fall into that category? What about people born with uh, mental illness or brain damage that that makes it impossible for them to differentiate between right and wrong? Impossible to to formulate ideas even. Or or what about children? Before they reach a certain level of understanding. Specifically, what about infants? Who certainly have have no ability to understand or obey or disobey the law of God written on their hearts. Therefore, you could say, they do not sin. And you can certainly say, they do not sin like Adam. Adam. But they still sometimes die. Infants who could not have sinned in any way die. 
Therefore, their death cannot be attributed to their own personal sin, of which they have none. Now, just so you know, I'm not, I'm not addressing the issue of, of infants and heaven and hell and those things. I actually think there are other passages of Scripture that address it well and show that those who can't formulate uh, ideas of right and wrong will be in heaven. But that's not what we're talking about here. There can be only one explanation for the death of infants or, or others who, who can't really sin. We can't say that they've sinned. They personally sinned. All died. Humanity died because all sinned in Adam. Adam's sin has been imputed, counted, credited to the entire human race. In other words, death reigned over all humans, even over those who did not sin against the known and understood law. Therefore, the conclusion is, to use the words, now we'll go to verse 18 really quickly. Uh, Paul states it kind of explicitly there. Through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. This is Paul's clarification. He wants us to know that death spread to all men because all sinned means that death spread to all men because all sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned, we all sinned. And you still might be asking, why does Paul make a big deal out of this? Uh, Why are you, Pastor Cliff, making a big deal out of this? Why does it matter? Why why, Why do we need to see that our death The punishment of sin, the consequences of sin, is not because of our own individual sins, but because of what happened to all of us in Adam many thousands of years ago. Why why does that matter? And the, the answer comes at the end of verse 14. Because Adam is a type of Christ. Romans 5, 14. Yet death reigned... From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That is Christ. Why does Paul end verse 14 like this? Right after saying that death reigned over those who who didn't personally, who didn't sin personally again against a known law like Adam did, why does Paul insert the all-important words, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Why at this point did Paul say that Adam is a type of Christ? Because this is why all of what we've seen today matters. Right here he says that Adam is a type. It's a pattern. There, there, you can see, it doesn't mean Adam equals Christ or Christ equals Adam or any of that. It, it means there's something about Adam that's paralleled in something about Christ. We've seen that the consequences of Adam's sin are experienced by all his people. Not not on the basis of their individual sins, but on the basis of their being in Adam and and his sin being credited to them. And so, as this becomes clear, Paul then brings in Christ as a parallel. Because the consequences of Christ's righteousness are experienced by all his people not by, on the basis of their doing righteous deeds like he did, but on the basis of their being in him and his righteousness being credited to them. 
That's the parallel Paul wants his readers to see. The reason why death reigns over all is not because of our individual sins, but because of Adam's sin credited to us. So the reason eternal life reigns is not because of our individual deeds of righteousness, our good works, if you will, but because of Christ's righteousness credited to us by grace through faith. This is so important for us to see, that our righteousness before God, your right standing before God, this goes back, Paul's still assuring us of our salvation here, by the way, that your righteousness before God, your right standing before God, your relationship with God, and your freedom from condemnation for your sin is not based, will not come because of righteous acts that you do, but will come based on Christ's righteous acts and Christ's righteousness credited to you. This is the, the foundation. This is the, uh, if, you, if, you, if you know the Chronicles of Narnia, and, and when they talk about the deep magic and then the deeper this is the deep, deep magic. This is deep. This is the foundation of the, the great uh, biblical truth of justification by grace alone through faith alone. Let me try to illustrate it again. Let, let's see if we can see it again, why this matters. If you say, as some do, through one man sin and death entered the world and death spread to everyone because all sinned individually, we just are following the pattern of Adam. We're just doing what Adam did. So we die like Adam died. Then the comparison with, with, with Christ would be, so also, one man, Jesus Christ, his righteousness and, and, and life, he brought righteousness and life, he did righteous deeds in his life, and that spread to all because we all individually do acts of righteousness. In other words, justification would not be by God's crediting Christ's righteousness to us, but our performing individual acts of righteousness that Christ helps us with, or, 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 or He's the example of, and then be encountered righteous based on our own righteous acts. This is, this is what many people uh, fall into. Faith, oh yeah, Christ, I, I trust in Christ, but I have to follow His example and do good works, and that's what's going to save me. Faith plus works. When Paul says that, that as, uh, when Paul sees, when he says, because all sin there, and when he sees the, the possible misunderstanding of what he said, he stops to clarify. But what does it say about the work of Christ if we take the words to mean, because all sin, to mean, because all sinned in Adam? Then it would go like this. Just as one man, just through one man, sin entered excuse me, sin and death entered the world and death spread to everyone because Adam's sin was credited to all. So also through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness entered the world and life through righteousness and life spread to all who are in Christ because his righteousness is credited to them. This is the glory. This is the glory of justification by grace through faith. The the basis of our acceptance before God is not and never will be our own righteous deeds. The basis of our acceptance before God is 
and always will be Christ's righteousness credited to us by grace through faith. This is the parallel that Paul wants us to see and to rejoice in. This is why Adam is a type of Christ. Because just as Adam's sin is credited to, to us because we are, we're in him, so Christ's righteousness is credited to us because we are in him. In Adam, we were condemned. In Christ, those who have faith are justified. Adam's transgression was credited to us, and Christ's righteousness is credited to us. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15.22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Okay? Are you guys, uh, is your head spinning a little bit? Mine certainly was and still is. What I want us to do now is just ask the question. So, so I'm going to, if you didn't quite get it, get everything, I want you to, I want you to take it by faith here that the, the truth that you, uh, in, in Adam, uh, when Adam sinned, it, it meant we were all done for, okay? We're all condemned. I mean, we sin and we prove we're in Adam by our sin, but it's because of Adam's sin that we all, by nature, become sinners. We're, we're condemned in Adam. And that's paralleled to Christ in the same way, and, and we want it to be that way. Even though it doesn't sound fair, we want it to be that way, because it certainly is not fair. It certainly is not fair that because of the one, the one act of Christ, Christ's one act of righteousness would also be given to us. That's not fair. But that's what we want. So let's understand what happened in Adam as well. And let's ask, so what is our response? What's our response to this? Well, our first response needs to be that we trust in Christ. That we believe in Christ. That we uh, are in Christ. And you get in Christ by having faith in Him as your Lord and your Savior. That's our first, foremost response. But what is our response to the fact that in Christ we've been moved from death to life? Well, as I thought, and I, I prayed about this a great deal, uh, to think, how are we to respond to this knowledge, this truth, this doctrine, if you will, that our justification, being counted righteous, and, and our reconciliation to God because we're counted righteous, our adoption into His family, our being saved, are being saved from the wrath of God and being saved to eternal life with Christ, all of that has absolutely nothing to do with you or me, with our own righteous deeds of any kind. That all that matters is that you are in Christ. That you've trusted in Christ. And therefore, Christ's righteousness is then credited to us. And we are made alive for all eternity. How do you respond to that? Well, one response could be uh, uh, kick back, man, relax, take it all in, don't, don't change, change nothing, not even thinking about, don't even think about doing righteous deeds because they don't matter. And unfortunately, to one degree or another, uh, many have decided that that's the response they need to have. And Paul's going to argue against that. In Romans, and he argues against that in many other places. This is not the response that I would recommend. 
I'm not even sure if it's a possible response for those who are truly in Christ, for those who have truly received the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of things we could say at this point, many scriptures we could look at showing how we should respond to being in Christ. When we get to Romans chapter 12, when when we start looking at the application uh, to those who are in Christ, Paul focused on this response a lot, and we'll look at that. But I'd like us to just think for a minute about what we just read. I think it's still up there. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15.22. Specifically the fact that if you are in Christ, that you've been made alive. That you were dead in Adam. You had nothing to look forward to but eternal death. And now you're alive in Christ. Now you'll still experience that physical death, but not the spiritual death. You've been made alive spiritually in Christ. And if it's true that you are now alive in Christ, then really, your response has to be to live for Christ. Put simply, Christ has given you in this world His righteousness, His forgiveness, His love and His grace and His mercy. And in the world to come, He gives you eternal life. He rescues you from the wrath of God. And He gives you eternal joy and pleasure forevermore in His presence. And your response and my response must be to now live for Christ in this world. To give your life to Christ. To rejoice in Christ. To worship and glorify Christ. To obey Christ in all things. To abide in Christ through, through prayer, through, his, through studying His Word. To love Christ above all else. To sacrifice for Christ. Let me just conclude by reading one description, also in, in the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, of what it should mean. I mean, this is just an aspect that I want to point out right here for us uh, who are in Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-20, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's who we're talking about, this is the response First he says, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, sum it up, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. To be in Christ means to be an ambassador for Christ, to live for Christ, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with the world, with those who are still in Adam, those who are still enslaved to sin, those who are still facing eternal death, that they too may be reconciled to God that they too can be in Christ. Our response to being in Christ is to live and to speak in such a way that others, our family and our friends and our co-workers, our neighbors and the nations will come to be in Christ as well. It's a big response. But it's a big thing that Christ has done for us. He's rescued us from being in Adam. And He's placed us in Himself. He's given us His righteousness. He's given us reconciliation to God. And and now we're His ambassadors. 
So as we go from this place, represent Christ. Live for Christ in all that you say and all that you do. Would you pray with me to that end? Father God, thank you. Thank you for Christ, for his, his willingness to sacrifice for us, his willingness to go to the cross for us, his willingness to provide a way of salvation, reconciliation. I just pray that for myself, for each one here, that we would count that as a great privilege. That knowing that we're in Christ, we'll now see the world in a different way. We'll see all of those who are not in Christ and know that they're still in Adam and know what they face, Lord, and and we will represent you well to them. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to be your ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ, in Christ's name, amen.